Scripture will be from Psalms 46, 10. Psalms 46, 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Good evening and welcome again to our worship service. We're grateful for your presence. We're thankful for the opportunity to sing together, to pray together, and now to study together. We're very grateful for the beautiful day. It has been a hot day. It is truly Memphis weather now. And so I guess we're in for this hot weather for the next three or four months, at least till Christmas. But we are grateful to be, be here tonight, and we want to look together at the 46th Psalm. We're going to be looking at Psalm 46, and we're going to be asking the question, is your faith shatterproof? By way of asking that question, all of us have probably encountered circumstances or instances in life that have tried our faith. When you look at the scriptures, you will read of any number of individuals that faced very distressing situations in life, and yet their faith remained intact. One of the things that the devil wants to do to those of us who travel through this life is to break our faith. And if we allow him, he will do so. Go back and look at the Old Testament and read of some of God's great servants of days gone by. Men that faced difficulties and trials. Job, for example. And yet his faith remained intact. In the New Testament, we remind ourselves of the life of Peter. Peter faced some tough times, spiritually speaking, and no doubt the devil wanted to break his faith, but was unable to do so. In Psalm 46, we have a psalm of David. David, as you know, was king over Israel. He was a man after God's own heart. And in Psalm 46, if David be the writer of this psalm, some might suggest someone else. But nonetheless, we think about the individual that penned this particular psalm. If it be David, it would certainly coincide with other psalms that he wrote or penned that underscored his deep faith in Almighty God. And so... With that in mind, I want us to look at Psalm 46. The first thing I want to call your attention to is the point, times in life, or times when life seems out of control. Have you ever faced instances in your life when you felt as if things were out of control? Or maybe even beyond the scope of your control. All of us like to think that we are in control of our own life. We want to think that we are the captain, if you please, of our own ship, the master of our own life here upon this earth. Well, there are times in life when we feel as if things are out of control. 
The problems of life leave us with a feeling of helplessness or even hopelessness. Let me suggest that as we think about those times when life seems out of control, there are some realms when we can be overcome with this particular feeling. Let me just suggest four things. Number one, disaster. Note, if you would, what is said in Psalm 46 at verse 2. The psalmist said, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. All of us have witnessed disasters here upon planet earth. Last year we experienced a tornado and it destroyed much of our building, over a million dollars worth of damage. When tornadoes hit, there's very little that we can do physically to protect ourselves. None of us are Superman. We can't stand in front of the building and shield this building or shield any other building or home for that matter from the hurling winds of nature. We look down at the coast and we see hurricanes literally slam, slamming into cities and destroying them. Many years ago, a friend of mine was living in Miami, Florida. And he and his wife stayed in town when Hurricane Andrew hit. And after that hurricane was, was over with, after the dust had settled, he told me, we will not do that again. Well, there's a reason for that. Because you see, when you face disasters like that, you begin to feel as if life is out of control. Things are out of your hands. And that was, that was the feeling there. But there are any number of disasters that we face in this life that leave us feeling as if life is out of our control. Let me give you a second thing that I believe will put us in a situation where we feel as if life is out of control, and that is disease. Go back and read through the scriptures of individuals that were plagued with human diseases of any number of types. For example, in Matthew chapter 8, we are introduced to a man that was a leper. Leprosy, as you know, was a terrible disease. During the days of Christ, those who had leprosy, they were considered unclean. They were isolated from the camp. No one wanted to be around them, and rightly so. Why? Because it was a dreaded disease. And yet this man, because of his terrible disease, approached Jesus and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Well, he understood that he was helpless in that situation. I think about, in the gospel record, the woman who had an issue of blood. She had been plagued with this particular malady for some 12 years. The text says that she had been to many doctors and yet had not been able to find anyone to help her. And so in light of that, she approached the Lord and touched the hem of his garment. And then we think about, in Acts chapter 3, we are introduced to a man that had been born lame. And the Bible tells us that he was a beggar. 
Imagine, if you can, being born into this world, unable to walk, unable to move. There are many people like that in our world. No doubt that must be a very helpless feeling. And then in John chapter 9, we read about a man that had been born blind. These are some instances that give us insight into the diseases that that we are confronted with on a daily basis because we live here on planet Earth. If you were to go to the doctor this week and the doctor were to tell you that you had a form of cancer, immediately you would feel a sense of helplessness. If the doctor told you that you only had a very brief period of time to live, you would feel hopeless. Well, those are instances when life can seem out of control. A third thing would be depression. We live in a, in a society in which many people today are clinically depressed. When we talk about depression, there are a lot of people that do not want to admit that depression is a clinical problem. And yet there are many people that have faced depression and they have a chemical imbalance in their brain and they need medicine to make them whole, to make them well. But there are individuals in our world today that have gotten down into what has been called that black hole. And once you get down into that black hole, sometimes you feel helpless and hopeless. I had a friend of mine tell me on one occasion, he said, you don't have to get down into that hole for a very long period of time until things begin to look very, very bleak. Well, there are people that face depression. In 1 Kings chapter 19, we read about Elijah. Elijah was one of God's great prophets in the long ago. He had been victorious on Mount Carmel. He had, he had encountered Ahab, and there was a showdown that took place. The prophets of Baal were put to death. And so in chapter 19, Ahab's wife, Jezebel, sends word to Elijah, the great prophet of God, and said, look, I'm going to have your life. What did Elijah do? He fled. He was ready to die. He was ready to give up. And yet God reminded him that he still had 7,000 that had not bowed the knee to Baal. When I look at the life of Job, I have to think that Job, for at least some period of time, faced some depressing moments in life. I don't see how you could lose 10 children, lose your wealth and health, to have your own wife turn on you and, and not, to some extent, be depressed or despondent, discouraged. Well, those are some real life issues that can put us in a situation where we feel as if life is out of control. A fourth thing that I believe will cause us to feel as if we've lost control is death. Death comes to those of us who comprise the human family on a daily basis. The Bible says, it's appointed unto man once to die. After this cometh the judgment. Job said, man born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. If you live here upon this earth, you are subject to death unless the Lord comes first. But go back and read throughout the scriptures of individuals that lost loved ones. I'm reminded of the great man Abraham who was called a friend of God. In Genesis chapter 27, we read about the death of his wife, Sarah. Think of all of the things that they had experienced together. They had finally seen that child of promise born into their family, the one that God had said 
In you shall all nations of the earth be blessed. That child of promise had been born. All of the the good times and difficult times and bad times that they had experienced side by side. And now the Bible says that Abraham's wife had died. And he came to weep for her and mourn for her. When you lose a loved one, whether it be a spouse, a child, a a grandchild, that being a grandson or granddaughter, a brother, sister, mother, father, it can leave you with a feeling that life is out of control. It leaves you with that helpless, hopeless feeling because you understand, like David, you can go to them, but they cannot come to you. Death will take its toll upon those of us who live here on planet Earth. In John chapter 11, we are introduced to Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus that the one whom he loved, Lazarus, was sick. Jesus knew that that sickness would ultimately be fatal. And so after Lazarus had died, Jesus went to went to meet Mary and Martha. And when he approached Martha, she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary would later echo the same words. The text tells us in John chapter 11 that Jesus wept. I think about what death has done to the human family and the fact that it can put us in a situation where we feel as if life is out of control. There are times in life when we feel as if everything's out of control. Well, those are just four instances where we can have that kind of feeling here in life. But I want you to now think with me in the second place that we need to trust that the Lord is in control. You see, there are times when life seems out of control. But what we have to do in order to to get over difficulties and problems in life, we have to understand that the Lord, first and foremost, is in control. And so as we think about this idea of God being in control, the first thing I want to call your attention to is His power. When we talk about the power of Almighty God, there are really two things that we need to see from our text. Number one, the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. What do we mean when we say God is sovereign? We're saying that God is in control. That God is overall. He is, he is the one who is reigning in heaven. So look, if you would, at Psalm 46 at verse 10. If you read Psalm 46, the psalmist will, will talk about the, the difficulties, the disasters, if you please, that, that we face in this life. And in light of all of that, in verse 10 he said, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. What's, what's the psalmist saying here? He's saying that God is in control. Sometimes what we need to do is step back, take a deep breath, and just think for a moment. Think about what we have learned 
from reading and studying and meditating on God's Word. If there's anything that we ought to know from reading Scripture, it is that God is in control. He is always in control. In Hebrews chapter 1, there's a contrast made between Jesus and the angelic beings. Concerning Christ, the Hebrew writer said, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Here's what, you, here's what I want you to see from that. God was in control yesterday. He's in control today. He'll be in control tomorrow. He'll be in control next month. He'll be in control next year. If the world stands a million years from now, God will be in control. He is always in control. In Psalm 99.1, the psalmist said, The Lord reigneth. God is in control. Daniel acknowledged in Daniel chapter 4, verse 32, the Most High rules in the kingdoms of men. And we look around in our society today and we concern ourselves about some of the things that are going on in our country, in our world, and rightly so. But what we need to understand is that God is in control. God has not vacated His throne. Read Psalm 103. The psalmist said that God's throne is in heaven. And his kingdom, he said, rules over all. God is over all. In Ephesians chapter 4, there is a list of seven ones that are listed by the Apostle Paul. He said, there's one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all and in you all. What's Paul saying there? God the Father is over all. God is on his throne, and when God is on his throne, all is well. Why? Because we trust in the sovereignty of God. God is in control. I don't care what the situation may be. I don't care how bleak things may look in this life. God is in control. He's always in control. So, we talk about the sovereignty of God. Then I want you to think about with me the strength of God. In light of the strength of God, look at verse 4. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. Drop down and look at verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. And then in light of all of that, again, we come back to this verse, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. What do you think the psalmist is saying here? Let me just put it in our vernacular today. He's saying, chill out. The other day I was at my mother-in-law's house and I had Nancy on the telephone. I don't remember what she said, but her mama said, tell her to cool out or chill out or whatever that is. And it was funny to hear somebody 70-something years old say cool out or chill out. Well, the psalmist is simply saying, what you need to do is realize God is in control. 
God is all power. Look at what God can do. Look at what God has done. You remember, you remember when the Assyrians were threatening the people of God? Hezekiah was on the throne. Hezekiah goes to prayer, goes, goes in prayer to Almighty God. And he literally lays before God the taunts and the threats of the Assyrians. And God destroyed 185,000 Assyrians in one night by the hand of his angel. God is in control. God is reigning on his throne. And so we, we think about the sovereignty of God and the strength of God. And that would fall under the heading of his power. But then there is a second thing I want to I call your attention to, and that is his presence. We need, to, we need to understand and appreciate the fact that God is ever-present with us. So with that in mind, the first thing that I would call your attention to is that God is our refuge. We have a refuge in the Lord. He is a shelter when the storms of life are howling. And so with that in mind, look if you would at Psalm 46, verse 1. Here's what the psalmist said. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The psalmist here is saying that God is our refuge. He is the one who will help us in times of distress. Now I said that God is a refuge. He is a shelter to us. Turn over, if you would, to Psalm 61. I want you to look at some verses with me based on what is recorded in Psalm 61 because I think that this helps to, to enforce or reinforce this idea. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 61, verse 2. From the end of the earth I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. The psalmist here is saying that, that God is in the business of sheltering his people. That God is in, in the business of providing a place of solace, a refuge for our weary souls. And then look at Psalm 62. In Psalm 62, here's what the psalmist said in verse 7. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. That ought to be encouraging to know that we are invited to pour out our heart before Almighty God. Why would, why would the psalmist encourage us, why would God the Father encourage us to pour out our heart to Him? Here's why. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, the Bible says, Casting all your care on Him, for He cares for you. If God didn't care about you individually, if he didn't care about you, he wouldn't tell you to bring your troubles and your heartaches and your sorrows to him. 
Now, there are some people in our world, there are some cold-hearted, uncaring, calloused people in our world. They are not sympathetic. They're not compassionate. They lack a sense of empathy when times are bad. And yet, God in heaven is not like that. No, the Bible says, we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities but one who has been tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw boldly under the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. And so to know that God is interested in us as individuals. God is interested in us because we are the crown of His creation. The Bible says that the very hairs of our head are numbered. The psalmist said, He knoweth our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God knows us inside and out. And God wants to be a refuge for our soul. He wants us to look to Him for shelter in times of difficulty. Now go back and look again at Psalm 46. Not only do we have a refuge in the Lord, but there is the resolve that we are to have in the Lord. Look again at verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. All right? God is our refuge. God is our strength. He is a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. The psalmist is saying, since God is our refuge... Since he is the one who is at our side willing to help us, we're not going to be afraid. We're not going to fear. Now, in John chapter 6, there is an interesting account of Jesus coming to his disciples. And the Bible tells us he's walking on the water. Now, had we been there, we would probably have been afraid. Had we seen somebody walking on the water. And Jesus made a statement to the apostles. He said, it is I, do not be afraid. If God is on our side, why should we ever be afraid? Why should we fear? In Hebrews chapter 13, the Bible says, the Lord is my helper. What shall man do unto me? God is with us. There is this security blanket or this sense of serenity that we ought to have in life. I mean, listen again to what the psalmist said. Here is God. He's pictured as a refuge, a source of strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we're not going to fear. Now, look at what he says. Therefore we will not fear, though, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, life may be turbulent. Life, your life might be in, in an upheaval. Things may not, may not be going your way. You may be, you may be feeling hopeless, helpless, 
discouraged, despondent, downcast, whatever, whatever. The psalmist is saying, look, your life can be in a tailspin, but you don't have to be afraid because God is there. God is your refuge. God is your strength. God is your help in times of trouble. There's a third thing that I think we need to see in Psalm 46. We talk about our refuge in the Lord, our resolve in the Lord, but then our relationship with the Lord. We enjoy a relationship with God. There are, there are a lot of relationships that we, that we enjoy here, here on, on planet Earth. We talk about family relations, friendships. There, there are so many different levels of friendship and relationships that we, that we develop in life. But the bond that exists between us and God outweighs all of those relationships. And so, in light of our relationship with the Lord, there is security. There is this sense of abiding security in the Lord. So look at what the psalmist said in verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And then verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. What's the psalmist saying? He's, he is affirming the fact that God is with his people. God will stand by his people. You may have friends, you may have family members. When times get tough, they will not stand. And sometimes the true measure of a friend or a family member is when times get tough in life. You find out who are your real, your real friends and who are your fair weather friends. Well, God will not leave you. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's what God said. You remember when Joshua began his ministry on behalf of God? He succeeded Moses. God said to Joshua in the long ago as he, as he was about to embark upon leading the Israelite people, the Israelite nation into the land of Canaan, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We can take that promise to the grave. God is not going to leave us and God is not going to forsake us. We talk about what's the worst thing that could happen in this life. Well, the worst thing that could happen might be, it might be death. The psalmist said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. It doesn't matter where we go, God will be there with us. So let me ask this question. Is your life shatterproof? Is your faith unbreakable? Now, it might be the case that you faced some tough times. In boxing sometimes they'll talk about two men in the ring and they are duking it out. One of the, one of the competitors lands a solid blow to the jaw. The opponent stumbles, maybe hits his knees. And so the referee will give what's called a standing eight count. That might be that you've taken a standing eight in life. Maybe, maybe you've 
Maybe you've been hit hard by some form of adversity, trial, or tribulation. But the key is you get back up. You don't give up. I like watching the old Rocky movies. And the reason is because in that first movie, Rocky is literally knocked to the canvas I don't know how many times. And every time, every time, I think it was Apollo Creed, every time he thought it was over, guess what? Rocky, Rocky's hanging on to the ropes and climbing back up. It's like, it's like Apollo Creed's thinking, have you not had enough? Well, you know, sometimes that's the way life is. There are just repetitive blows, but we don't give up. Our faith is not going to be broken. It's not going to be shattered. So maybe you're here tonight. Maybe you're a child of God. Maybe, maybe you've taken a standing eight. Maybe you've been knocked to the canvas of life. And the problem is getting back up on your feet again. With God's help, you can do it. You see, the devil wants you to stay down. God wants you to get up. So what do you do? You get up. You dust yourself off. You acknowledge your wrongdoing. And you go forward. Here's what John said. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe you're down. The key is, do not stay down. Maybe you're, here, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. What would you need to do? Well, the Bible says that on Pentecost Day, the invitation, repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. When you do that, the Lord then adds you to the church, Acts 2, verse 47 where you enjoy all spiritual blessings in Christ, Ephesians 1, verse 3, among which are life eternal, Titus 1, verse 2. The exhortation is to simply be faithful until death. The promise is the crown of life. What about you tonight? If you need to respond to heaven's invitation, why not come as we stand and sing?